Cause I know that's where you'll be Count the joy, come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be You can be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. Uh, we thank you uh, for that truth uh, that uh, we count the joy of every battle because we know that's where you'll be. You're, you're in the battle. You're, you're with us. You're present, and we're grateful. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want you to uh, think for a minute as we get started in this series about some of the different silos of your life, some of the different kind of places where you live, and I want you to think about the roles that you play in those places. So if you think about family for a minute, uh, I want you to think about your role kind of in your family. Maybe you're the fix-it person, and when things break down, your family just kind of knows that you're going to get your magical toolbox and your infinite knowledge, and you're just going to get it done, Right? Maybe your role is meal prep, and the whole family just kind of knows if they don't do their thing, we don't eat, right? That that meal prep is kind of their thing, and they cook for the family, and that's just the role you play. Maybe for you it's organization, and you keep the family calendar, and everyone kind of knows what's going on because of the role that you play. Maybe you're the disciplinarian, and the words have been uttered time and time in your house that when so-and-so gets home, when mom gets home, when dad gets home, oh, you're, you're in so much trouble because the disciplinarian is coming, right? Maybe that's your role. Let's move over to the silo of work just for a minute. You can think about your place in, in work. Um, maybe at work you tend to be the get-it-done person. And so a lot of projects come out of your desk because your boss just knows that and kind of relies on you that you're going to get the stuff that he puts on your desk done. Uh, maybe your role is the devil's advocate. Um, you advocate for the devil at your work. Um, and um, you, 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 alter a alternate, you offer an alternate opinion uh, to what's being uh, discussed. Let's move over to the silo called church, right? Uh, maybe uh, you're uh, a kids ministry person here or a property person or a worship team person. And you just have a team around you that understands the role that you play. And they're grateful for the role that you play and that you play it well, I want you to think about that with all the different spaces that you operate, and I want you to think about the role that you play. That, that's the name of this series is Role Player, and I want you to hold on to that just for a minute while I set up our next thought, that we've been in this series now, like I said, in the welcome, uh, we've been in this series for four years, not four straight years, January to kind of around Easter, uh, we've been working our way through the book of Genesis, and if you remember the very first year of that series, we called it Origin Story, and that was just kind of the origin of the earth, the origin of humanity, and the origin of sin, and then how the world has operated in a post-sin world ever since that moment, and we've seen uh, how it entered the world, we've seen the consequences that it brought, and we've seen all of that in, in, in the first part of that series. In part two, we examine the life of Abraham and, and, and kind of Isaac, that God had begun to reveal his plan to redeem this broken world that that was broken by sin. And so he called uh, this guy away from his family and his homeland, and he was called to leave, and God just said, you just start walking, and I'll tell you when you get there, right? You you just start walking, and we see at the beginning of the Abraham story that Abraham was kind of a key component of God's plan to redeem and save and forgive the world. And God had promised Abraham that through you a nation would be birthed, and the entire world would be blessed through that nation. There was one tiny little teacher, little problem. Abraham didn't have any kids. That's a very small nation, you and your wife, right? 
We are nation eggs, right? I mean, it's, it's a very, very small nation. So that was a problem. And eventually we see through miraculous events that Isaac is born. And then part three follows uh, that we studied last year was Isaac's son, uh, Jacob. And we entitled that series Antihero because of all the protagonists in the Bible, people that we're supposed to kind of uh, cheer for, uh, Jacob has got to be one of the least likable protagonists in all the Bible. Um, you, you don't have to set up that, you know, you're not really going to like this guy that much. Read the story and you'll see that uh, Jacob in the Old Testament has, has these problems. And if you remember the story, Jacob has this desire to w- marry a woman named Rachel. And he ends up uh, getting tricked into marrying a woman named Leah. And if you remember how the story went, it's like, Jacob loved Rachel. And Leah had weak eyes, right? Um, I don't even know why that's in there, but that, that's what's said. And he and Leah end up having children. Uh, they have, together they have six sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and a daughter, Dinah. And then with her maidservant, Jacob has two additional children. And then with Rachel, uh, the woman that he really loved and wanted to marry all along, um, they had two children together, Joseph, and then she ends up uh, dying in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. And then with her maidservant, he has two additional children. And so all these kids combined uh, and some other kind of caveats in between end up making the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, We're going to see that uh, Joseph's two children that he ends up having as we move on in the story, uh, Joseph's two children um, are going to split his share. But these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Levi steps out because they're the the priests. um, So now we get to the end of the book of Genesis. And here's what's surprising about it is that you would think Just as the story has unfolded, that the story would continue to follow the direct line of Christ. And when you read Matthew chapter 1, you know, Abraham was the father of Isaac, right? Check, we've studied that story. Isaac is the father of Jacob. Check, we've studied that story. Um, And then Jacob is the father of Judah and his brothers. And so you would think the story would follow Judah, but it doesn't. There's one story in Genesis 38 about Judah... I'm not preaching on it. Uh, it's scandalous. It's terrible. Uh, there's no way I'm preaching on Judah. All right? So, um, and, and so we're going to skip that story. I, honestly, we're more skipping it because it doesn't uh, really fit into this series. But Judah's not a super, super likable character at the beginning. He ends up kind of being redeemed as the story goes on. But the story actually follows his son Joseph, his firstborn son, with Rachel, and I think that there's a couple reasons for it. One is I think it's clear uh, that Jacob thinks that Joseph is the promised child through whom the line is going to go on. I, I, think, I think Jacob believes that about Joseph. He doesn't understand yet that it's actually Judah, uh, but he thinks it's Joseph. And I think that the other reason it happens is because Joseph has a very important role to play in the story. He's not the direct line of Christ. What Joseph's role ends up being is he preserves the line of Christ. God's people end up fleeing to Egypt, and Egypt becomes almost like an incubator. And God's people grow and grow and grow in Egypt. And we think of Egypt as starting an exodus where it's really hard and difficult. There were actually a lot of good years for Israel in Egypt. Um, and so Egypt becomes a place where the nation grows and where they end up being saved from famine. And that happens because Joseph ends up playing his role and playing it relatively well. Let's see his story in Genesis 37. 
Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Now, this is the account of Jacob's family line. So it kind of sets up, uh, we're still following Jacob, but really, as the story goes on, it's, it's Joseph. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. These are the maidservants that I mentioned earlier, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. All right? Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in an old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that the father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. All right? So let's pause there just for a minute. You can see the family dynamics are just really, really lovely here. Um, That Joseph is the favored son, and as the favored son, all the other sons are in the field working, And Joseph's job is to go and report on them. Now, it is a real head-scratcher how this family ends up in dysfunction. Right? You are the favorite son. I love you more. I love you best. I love you. Now, go tell me how your brothers are doing in the field. It's like, oh, real head-scratcher here that there ends up being family issues. And I think it is a little surprising. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but that Jacob, in particular, would behave this way. Right? He had seen the effects of favoritism on his own family with his own father Isaac. His father Isaac had favored his brother Esau. His mother had favored him. And this created tension and hostility in the family. And here's what Jacob thinks. You know what? I'm just going to do that again. That works so well between me and my parents and me and my brother. Rinse and repeat, baby. Right? This is what we're going to do. And so whenever I'm doing pre-marriage with people, we always come to a section where I, that I lead them through where we talk about what are the parts of your family that you would like to copy and what are the parts of your family that you would like to avoid. And it is not meant to be judgy against the family you grew up in at, at all. It is meant to have people at a minimum think about it. Because if you don't think about it, you rinse and repeat it. And sometimes those are very lovely qualities, like generosity and grace and faithfulness. Sometimes those are not good qualities, uh, like being judged and being favored and uh, uh, not showing grace in your family. So sometimes those are not great qualities. But if you don't think about it, at least, you have to think about it, you kind of end up just rinsing and, and repeating. And so I always encourage people at the very beginning of their marriage, what are the parts of your family that you want to copy and what are the parts you want to avoid? And Jacob obviously did not go through my marriage counseling because he did not do this, right? He, he did not go through this process and uh, he ends up just rinsing and repeating what had been modeled for him. The story continues. Joseph had a dream And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. You're going to love it, right? We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Fantastic dream. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Like we're trying to get what this dream's about. Will you actually rule over us? And they, how many times has it said this? They hated him all the more, every single time. And they hated him all the more, right? Because of the dream that he had. And then, all right, so then he has another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen to this dream. I know you didn't care for the earlier one. Listen to this one. I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars 
were bowing down to me. How many brothers does he have? Right, right. When he told his father, as well as his brother, his father rebuked him and said, what is the dream you had? And then the father's putting it together. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? He's like, I may have like created an entitlement in this kid. What? He's questioning his parenting, right? His brothers were jealous of him, but the father kept the matter in mind. So I think it's important to note here that by and large, this dream actually comes true. Uh, the two dreams. Toward the end of the story, the brothers are bowing before him and begging him for mercy. And we're going to learn that Joseph has this very unique relationship with dreams. He has very vivid dreams where God speaks to him. He has the ability to interpret dreams. God has blessed Joseph in this way. It, he's often communicated with through, through dreams. And it's rare in the rest of the Bible. But for Joseph, it happens a couple times where God speaks through a, a dream. And I think it's worth us thinking about just for a minute. Is just because something's true, is just because something's true, does it need to be shared? Right? And I think it's worth thinking about. I, I, I share that because sharing this dream didn't really serve his brothers at all. As a matter of fact, the dream wasn't for the brothers. The dream was for Joseph. It was meant to be an encouragement to him. It kind of denigrated the brothers a little bit. And it causes a greater divide uh, between Joseph and his brothers. God used that division to be, to be sure. But this requires great wisdom for us. It's like, man, I've got something I want to say. And it's true. And I can't wait to, to, to the next holiday because I'm going to share some truth for dessert. You know what we're having for dessert today? Truth, right? Everybody said, we're having some truth for dessert today. And I would ask you to just pause for a minute, and it may be true. Just because it's truth, true doesn't mean it needs to be shared. Now, maybe it should be shared, and maybe it needs to be shared, but just because it's true doesn't, need to be, doesn't mean it needs to be shared. And I would actually say a, a rule of thumb for me is when I'm itching to share it, I'm like, oh, and I'm visualizing seeing that, oh, I can't wait till I run into them. I've got a truth bomb. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. When I'm kind of itching to do it and I can't wait to get it off my chest, that is usually an indicator to me that perhaps I'm not the best person to share this truth. Right? And then I think the other kind of thing that we see in Joseph is does the dream help or does, does the truth help or aid the person at all? Right? I think this dream was intended to be an encouragement for Joseph as his life went on. It was meant to encourage him. I don't think it was meant to encourage the brothers, right? Uh, at all, actually. And so is this dream actually, is this truth, excuse me, actually helpful to the people that I'm sharing it with? And it requires great wisdom from us because some truths do need to be shared. Uh, it requires great wisdom and grace for us to consider. I've got this thing that I believe God laid on my heart that is true. Should I actually share it with the people involved? Or should I, uh, sh should I choose a different path and, and maybe wait for God to give me a better opportunity? Should I even be the one to share it? So, anyway, tension is building. There's a favorite son with a great new jacket that probably costs uber dollars to buy. 
the son has in a title position where he's judging the brothers in the field. He's like their boss now. All of this stuff is happening. And in the middle of it, he's like, hey, by the way, I had a couple dreams. You're going to love them. You're, you're going to bow down to me and worship me. And so tension's building, and here's what happens. Joseph went after his brothers. His father sends him out. Joseph sends him after his brothers uh, and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in a distance, and before uh, he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So you can kind of understand this a little bit, right? I mean, killing him is an extreme response, to be sure. But you can kind of understand, he's like, oh, he's coming to judge us again. Dad sent him to check up on us, all that. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. This is not like a spur-of-the-moment thought. They've been thinking about this. It's too specific, right? Just let's kill him is spontaneous. Let's, there's a cistern. We can put him in there, trap him, imprison him. That's planned, all right? Uh, let, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Yeah, you, you dream about this, Sparky? Let's see how you do in here, right? All right? When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Reuben's level-headed here for a minute. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him and they threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, you got, got to love these guys. Who's hungry? <laughs> Kidnapping and imprisoning, it's exhausting work. I could use a meal, right? They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming down from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and uh, they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if, our, if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Slavery, I, let's do slavery. All right, so he, he is our kin, right? We shouldn't be killing him. We'll just sell him to slavery. Um, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite moments came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? And then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped it in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to the father and said, we found this. Examine it whether, to see whether or not it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. So let's dial down on where we want to land today, all right? I think you can make an argument, a, a good argument, that Jacob was not playing his role as father very well. Right? He was showing favoritism, and it wasn't subtle favoritism, right? He was obtuse to the growing tension in his family, and he does something, I think, kind of reckless by putting Joseph in charge of his brothers and sending Joseph to his brothers when there is this growing hostility. I think you can make an argument a strong argument that Joseph was not playing his role as a son particularly well. He was young and brash and prideful and the favorite son, and he knew it, and he wanted to make sure everyone else knew it as well. To me, those are lesser offenses. Because I think the stronger argument you can make 
is that the brothers were not playing their role as brothers particularly well. They are selfish. They are self-serving. They are angry. They are bitter. And they don't seem to feel outside of Reuben much, re- and, and, um, and, you know, Reuben and Judah, outside of that, they don't feel much responsibility to their brother. And they, they probably, and Reuben and uh, Judah are probably the reasons that Jake, uh, Joseph was able to live at all. But here's what I want you to see. This is a significant betrayal. And while you may not be able to uh, relate to this on a practical level, I bet you can relate to this on some other level. A person who had a role in your life did not play their role well at all. And you've been impacted by it. Maybe it was a parent, and your parents, they just did not play their role particularly well. They, They just weren't particularly good at parenting, and it has affected your life. It's a boss, and he or she, they're just not good at it. They're they're just not a good boss, and they haven't played their role very well. And it's left you kind of wondering where to go next. Maybe it was a church leader, and they just didn't play their role well, and you're left wondering how you can recover spiritually. There is a question in this story that I think is an important question for us to grapple with over the next few minutes, and here it is on the screen for you. How can I play my role well when they didn't play their role well? How can I play my role well when my parents dropped the ball or my boss dropped the ball or my sibling dropped the ball or this church leader dropped the ball? How can I play my role? Because we know Joseph has a role to play. How can I play my role well when they, whoever they is in your life, they refused to play theirs well? And maybe you have found yourself asking that question. That is the story underneath the story. Joseph has a role to play in this world. And the truth of the matter is the people in his life have let him down. And this was not the last time Joseph would experience betrayal at this level, at an unbelievable level. And the question of the Joseph story is, will he be able to play his role well when everybody around him has dropped the ball? Will he be able to play his role in this life when they didn't play their role well, will he be able to play his well when they didn't play theirs? And he does. He plays it relatively well. Now, Joseph is not perfect at all. I was talking to Sunday school about this today, is we worship Christ. And like I said, with the Jacob story last year, it's easy to kind of see Jacob for who he is in that story. You don't have to, you know, kind of point out to people his shortcomings. They're obvious in the story. Joseph is a little bit different. He reads as a protagonist. He reads as a hero. And so it would be very easy to kind of exalt Joseph to this place he doesn't really deserve to be. But Joseph, when you consider the scope of his life, I think Joseph played his role well, especially given the hand that he was given. And this is the story of most of the people in the Bible. You see them play their role relatively well, but then there is a time in their life where they stumble. David was a man after God's own heart. He stumbles. He has an affair. Moses led the people out of the promised land. Earlier in his life, he murdered a guy. Paul became a church planter. Before that, he persecuted. And like Joseph, when you look at the full arc of their life, you would say, all right, full arc, they played their role well. And the question is, how do you do that? Joseph, how do you do that? When dad has dropped the ball, when brothers have dropped the ball, when supervisors and bosses have dropped the ball, when your leaders have dropped the ball, how do you commit yourself to playing your role well when nobody else in your life seems to have played it well at at all? How do you do that when the people before you haven't? 
And I think it starts with a couple things. I, I want to walk through some qualities that I think Joseph had that we can learn from. I think, first of all, it starts with faith. It starts with a strong faith in God. It's a belief in God that, first of all, Joseph believed God had gifted him and equipped him to play a role in this world. But secondly, it is a belief in God that no matter kind of how they play out their role, no matter what they do, I am not alone. We sang about that earlier. The phrase is repeated throughout the story. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. His bosses weren't. His brothers weren't. His dad, to a certain extent, wasn't. Some of his friends weren't. But God God was. And so the Joseph story, it starts with this strong belief in God. He has gifted me, he has equipped me, he has placed me, and he is with me. And that moves us into the second character trait that he has, responsibility. One of the things you see in Joseph that flowed from his faith was a sense of responsibility in this world. That if everything I just said about God is true, that if he has gifted me and he is with me, and he has either placed me or allowed me to be in these circumstances, then I need to do the best job that I can do in the place that I am. And maybe your parents weren't very good about this. Maybe your bosses weren't very good about this. Maybe the politicians in Washington aren't very good about this. But you and I, we can be good about this. We can have a sense of responsibility that flows from our faith that says, man, God has gifted me, he has equipped me, he is with me, and he has placed me. And so that means I have to do the best job I can do in the circumstances I'm currently in. Grace, another attribute Joseph has. One of the things that you see in the Joseph story is a strong sense of grace for the people in his life that didn't play their role well. He forgave them. He refused to hang on to that so tightly, and this is so hard. But if we will play our role well, we must find a way to show grace. Because you know what the, you know what the attribute of grace does? Anger and animosity causes us to live over here again and again and again every day. When I'm angry and I'm bitter and I'm frustrated, I find myself living in that spot year after year after year. Grace and forgiveness frees me. It frees me to leave there and go over here to the place where God would really want me to be. So grace, it's not, it's not just that it's commanded in the Bible. It is so helpful to you and to me. To say, man, my anger is keeping me in this negative, terrible spot where they mistreated me and hurt me and lied about me. And Joseph's case sold me into slavery. If I stay here, I'm just going to live here forever. Grace allows me to free myself from that pain and begin to live over here in a new life that God has in store for me. So grace is important. Patience. Playing your role well like Joseph does requires patience because there will be times where you don't like your role. There will be times where you resent your role. There will be times where you wish you had a different role. There will be times where you fantasize about having a different role. And part of playing the role that, that you're in right now, part of playing it well is to be patient and say, I don't know what God's doing here. I don't know where God's leading here, but I'm going to be patient with where I'm at right now. And wherever I am, I'm going to play this role. For Joseph, it was things like prison and hardship and difficulty and the lowest rung on the ladder. All of these things. And he said, I, I wish I wasn't here. I wish my brothers hadn't done what they did. I, I'm going to do my best to show them grace, but I'm also going to be patient. I'm going to say, as a prisoner, I'm going to be the best prisoner that God ever created. 
Right? I, I'm, I'm going to be the best worker, the lowest rung on the ladder. That's where I am right now. I'm going to be the best worker God ever created. Right? As, God, as he went up the ladder a little bit, I'm going to be the best kind of executive that I can be. I'm going to play the role that I'm in right now while at the same time trying to further myself and, and, and move out of my situation. I'm going to play the role that I'm in right now to the best of my ability. So right now, our culture, we have a ton of conversation in our culture right now about like who is privileged, right? It's a, it's a conversation we'd like to have. Who is the most privileged among us? So we're going to find that out right now. All right, so if you have a net, no, I'm, I'm just kidding, right? If you have a net worth above, no, I'm, t- I'm totally teasing, right? This is a conversation we'd love to have. Who's the privileged? And I get it. I think it's worth discussing. There are people that come from backgrounds where the people of, in their life took their role very seriously. A parent, a boss, an executive, a church leader. They took their role seriously. And the person that was kind of in their family or in their project or, or in their sphere ends up advantaged because of it. And maybe that is your story. You're like, my, you know, you are talking about people that have trouble with their mom and dad. My mommy and daddy were great, man. You know, they nurtured me. They read to me. They loved me. I had the best parents in the world. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us came from backgrounds where it's like the people in your life, they just took it seriously. They, they did what we're talking about today. And they're like, man, if I'm going to be a parent, if I'm going to be a boss, if I'm going to be an executive, I'm going to be the best one that I can be. Because I believe God has gifted me and placed me and I'm going to be patient and show lots of grace. I'm going to do what Joseph did. And you benefited from people that were like this. And you should be grateful. And I should be grateful for the people in our life that we can look at and say, man, that boss, my parents, my sister, my whoever, they were like Joseph. And things weren't perfect for them. They had hardship and they had difficulty, but they took their role seriously, and I'm the benefactor of it. So I get why we talk about it, and I get why it's important. I think that there is a better question than who is the advantaged and who is the privileged. And the better question, it's, it's simple, but it's hard, and here it is on the screen. Will I play the role God has called me to play well? Will I? Will I play the role that God has called me to well? Even when the people before me screwed up. Even when they dropped the ball. Even when they uh, hurt me and, 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 and did wrong to me. That even when I look at my past and I say, they did not take this seriously. And you have a little bit of anger about it. They didn't take this seriously. They should have been more serious about this. As a parent, as a sibling, as a friend, as a church leader, they should have taken it more seriously, even when that's your background. And I, I get that. The question for all of us, it's an even question for all of us. Will I play the role God has called me to play well? Parents, some days are so tough and difficult. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. But I want to encourage you, play your role well. Love well. Discipline well. Disciple well. Engage well. Play the role that God has given you. They say, well, my dad and my mom, they, they didn't do that for me. I know, I know, it's terrible. But you're given another opportunity here. And someday your kids 
can look back like I do. I was actually talking to my son, Sam, about this just the other day. I said, my dad grew up with an abusive alcoholic. All right, very, very difficult childhood. My dad has told stories to me. I'm like, oh my, good, I'm, oh my goodness, I cannot believe the way you grew up. My dad, I grew up with a dad who had issues, right? <laughs> you know, I, and, I, and I would say, I'm not going to get into it on the stage, but my, my dad had issues, but they were not what his dads were. But, but he, he had some stuff. And I look at my son and I say, hopefully someday you will say, my dad did even a little bit better than what he grew up with. And that's what it is. It is choosing to say, do I wish things were different from this person that should have played their role better? Do I wish they were different? Yeah, I'm sure Joseph wished they were different. But I'm committing myself to playing my role well. To the church member, I want to encourage you to engage here. Sometimes it's tempting to sit back and just take in the Sunday morning thing. And some of you, this is from another church or another pastor or another leader that just didn't play their role well. And you're like, I'm going to sit and watch from now on. And and sitting and watching for a while is okay, but I want to encourage you. It's like, yeah, they dropped the ball. They screwed up big. But you have another opportunity now as a church member to love and serve and play your role well. To the worker, you might hate your job, and maybe it's time to find a new one. I, I, I won't pretend to have all the answers. But until then, will you play the role that you have right now with integrity and diligence and honesty? Some of you, I, I, I hope you do not hear me making light of this at all. I'm not at all. It's serious. The people in your life have not played their role well, and I get that. But you have an opportunity. And maybe you need counseling, and maybe you need help, and maybe you need spiritual guidance, but you have an opportunity to play yours better. To be a better father or mother. To be a better church member. To be a better worker. To be a better friend. To be a better sister. To be a better brother. You have an opportunity to do better and be better because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And you know, that is the great equalizer, because while these people may not have played their role well, you know who has played their role well for us? This is a super preachy thing to say, but the answer is always Jesus, right? Jesus has played his role well. He has forgiven our sin. He has set us an example. He has empowered us through our Holy Spirit. So that makes us hopefully eager to play a role better than what was given to us, but it also makes us available because we all have, while your father may not have been a good example, Jesus is. While your mother may not have been a good example, Jesus is. While your friend may not be a good example of what a friend should be, Jesus is. And so it makes us all equal in that way. That we all get the benefits of this Savior, this Messiah, this King who loves us and forgives us and empowers us so that we can be better than the people before us. Not better human beings, but just better role players. And to say like Joseph did, man, what happened to me stunk. To high heaven, it stunk. I can't imagine going through what Joseph went through. It stunk. It was terrible. It was evil. And he arrives in Egypt. Broken. Slave, disheartened, betrayed by his family. And it says the Lord was with Joseph. He was never alone. His brothers weren't there for them. His father wasn't there for them. His friend at the time weren't there for them. God was with him. And he said, you know what? 
I'm going to play my role in this country. I don't speak the language. I don't know the people. I don't understand what's going on. I'm going to play a role to the best of my ability. And he raises up the ranks. And each time he plays his role well, he ends up in prison. He plays his role well. And God continues to bless him each step of the way. It's not ignoring your past. It is committing yourself to the role that God has you in right now. And saying, he has equipped me. He has gifted me. He has empowered me. And so I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to play this role to the best of my ability, despite what was done to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And our conversation in this country a lot of times is about who has the upper hand, who's privileged, who had it easier. We, we like to talk about that for some reason. But there's a better question that we can be asking. Will I play my role well, like Joseph? Despite what was done to me, despite the people that didn't do their job and didn't play their role well, despite all of that, would you help us and empower us and motivate us to play our roles well, whatever they are? parent, church leader, friend, son or daughter, would you help us to commit ourselves that God, with your grace and your power made perfect in my weakness, I'm going to play this role better. I'm going to play it better than what was shown to me. It is by your grace we pray. Amen. Like I said, the great equalizer for every person in this room is not our background story. We all have different background story. And I, I've heard a lot of them in this church, and, and, and some of them are so difficult and so hard for people that just didn't play their role well. But the th- equalizer we all have is Jesus, his grace, his power, his example. And we want to turn our eyes to him right now because he is the great equalizer for where we all are, that we can look to Jesus uh, if somebody didn't play their role well in your life, we can look to Jesus for an example over, over them. And so we want to fix our eyes on him. We're going to receive communion together as an opportunity to do that. And they're going to pass out the emblems and you can kind of hold on to the bread that represents Jesus' body and the cup that represents his blood and just focus on Jesus for a few minutes. Thank him for his example and his power. Ask him, uh, what, what are the roles you want me to play in this world and help me to do it well? Help me, help me to play the role that you have called me to well, like Joseph. And uh, you can spend a few, minutes, a few minutes of time with your Lord, and then I'll come back up here and we'll receive communion all together as a church family. Body given for you. His blood poured out. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your example and your power made perfect in our weakness. As we uh, leave this place after a final song and begin to just play roles that you've called us to play. Some of us will leave here and we'll be parenting. Um, We'll be active in a marriage or a friendship or a small group or whatever. Tomorrow we'll go to work. As we're engaging in these places, would you motivate us and equip us and empower us to play our roles well? We're not going to play them perfect because we're not Jesus, but that we would play them well. We'd be convicted when we fall short and repent and come back and get back up, ready to 
to go after it again. Um, may we love your example and follow it. May we be empowered by your Holy Spirit. And may we receive grace upon grace upon grace. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's close with one last song of worship.